Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. Hey, welcome back to Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed. Great to have you here. And we've got the guest for you today. My friend, Eric Lawyer firefighter with the Seattle Fire Department, 12-year veteran, founder of Firefighters for 9-11 Truth. Before I bring him on, we've got some important announcements for you from the one and only Ms. Gail Gage. Gail, how are you? Uh-oh, did you forget to come <laughs> off the Yes, of course. Sorry about that. Hi. So it's great to have you here. We got a new day ahead of us, a new guest that's just going to clean up. He's got so much information, so much value. I mean, how much time have we spent with Eric uh, together? A lot of time. He's an amazing man, has yeah, a wonderful we went heart. Down to Boulder, right? Mm -hmm. And we, yes, we did. We connected on a very deep level. We're going to be sharing mm -hmm. uh, the depths of that level, but even more so of, of um, equal importance, perhaps, to the 9-11 Truth Movement, uh, the information that he has uh, for all of us. But um, you have some information for us, too, to begin with, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, just want to let everybody know, if you didn't watch yesterday's podcast with G. Edward Griffin, you really need to watch it. Uh, he was our podcast guest yesterday, or let's see, actually, it was on Tuesday. And he is the writer, documentary film producer, and founder of Freedom Force International. And boy, what a wealth of knowledge that man is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great guy, too. And before that, we had Captain Raul Angula, the 38-year veteran of the Seattle Fire Department. And he was the guest of honor for the Protecting All Protectors Alliance at the National Fire Protection Association conference that we were at helping at the booth. Um, and he's also one of those guys that's just really a powerhouse. Yes. So it was a great podcast. Be sure you watch it if you missed it. And then coming up, future podcasts, we have Dave Morgan of the Morgan Silver Report. He's an expert on precious metals. And right now with the economy and everything that's going on in the world, what he has to share is really important for all of us. I would highly recommend catching his podcast. And after him, we have Dr. Meryl Nass. She's July 5th. She lost her license because she prescribed ivermectin for her patients. And the medical board actually pulled her license for that. So we're going to have her as a guest. And I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about her whole experience with that. Um, very unfortunate, but she's definitely using it for good. And yesterday, we had our 9-11 uh, Architects Guide, our, our webinar, Part 3. So we, that was yesterday, so make sure you get that one. That was the Twin Towers in Extreme Heat. And coming up, we're very excited about a speaking engagement. We are going to be at the Red Pill Expo again. 
They've invited Richard back to speak. And this is going to be July 9th and 10th. So what you can do if you'd like to, of course, either attend in person, which would be amazing, or online, the virtual conference, is go to our website because they have early bird discounts that if you get in, I believe it's July 1st is the deadline. Um, then June you're, 30th. June 30th. Okay. So the day before. <laughs> so yeah, do it before July 1st. Um, and you're going to want to be there because we mm-hmm. are speaking on the amazing parallels between 9-11 and COVID. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the patterns between these two major false flag operations, these deep state events that are designed to steer humanity. Uh, and we'll talk about directions uh, uh, when when we can, uh, uh, that they're steering us in versus uh, maybe we'll talk about today with our guest, Eric Lawyer, what directions um, we might want to be steered in instead. Gail? Yes, and we posted an article that you can go to on our website, and that has all the information about uh, signing up and registering for the conference. And then we have uh, coming up for interviews for Richard, Patrick Turner of a Light On podcast. And we are Change Talk Show in Australia. Both of those are interviews coming up this in the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. And we want to let you guys know, too, that every podcast and video that we have that we put out, we also have an MP3 for it. So you can listen just audio. So probably about 30 minutes after this podcast, we'll have the MP3 available and all the MP3s are available for the audio on all the other podcasts. So we want to make sure you guys know that for those of you, actually, there is surprisingly a large number of people that do listen to the MP3s. And we want to really encourage you guys to, um, to share as much as you can with on the social media platforms that you're on, your friends, family, to share Richard Gage and 9-11 so that we can, you can, you can help us that way to get the word out and also to um, encourage people to subscribe and get all the great podcasts and information that you're receiving. So it's, it's good to share. And the platforms that we are video streaming to, aside from your normal, the regular platforms, is Rumble, Rockfin, Parlor, Odyssey, NewTube, Minds, Gab TV, Float, Brighton, and BitChute. So aside from your traditional uh, platforms, we're also on those. Now, we what we do is we upload to those podcasts, but we are indeed streaming uh, right now on Rockfin and Rumble. And um, for those of you who are uh, fortunate enough to know our secret YouTube channel, uh, we're streaming over there too, of course. Uh, But there's only a few people who know about that. Our regular channel, Richard Gage 911, will be back up and running in a few days. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, uh, Let me bring on our wonderful guest, Gail. Um, And uh, this, Today's guest on Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed is Eric Lawyer, a veteran Seattle firefighter who we in the 9-11 Truth Movement know best as the founder of Firefighters for 9-11 Truth. Their mission? To honor the 343 fallen brothers and all who have lost their lives due to the 9-11 attacks and ongoing 9-11 conflicts and the consequential 9-11 
illnesses. Having served with his fellow fighter firefighters at the World Trade Center in the weeks following the destruction, those events continue to this day to deeply inspire Eric's actions and the healing within himself. For over 14 years, he's been committed to bringing more awareness to the truth about 9-11 and to what's really needed to make changes necessary, uh, well, the necessary changes so that events like 9-11 never happen again. That's his vision. It's, it's huge. We're going to talk about that today. Back in 2009, Eric and I created the historic dual presentation documentary, Firefighters, Architects, Engineers, Expose 9-11 Myths which we presented all around the country, people were captivated by the power and intensity of Eric's detailed presentation, demonstrating the failings and the fraud of the NIST investigation point by point in rapid fire succession. It is powerful. I just want to play uh, a a piece of that uh, for you uh, real quick, uh, because you're you're not going to believe the the wonderful in intensity uh, of this man, and so let's let's do just that uh, right here, right now. Here we go. If we're in a free country, why are we afraid to just talk about an event that was the most traumatic event in our history? I originally believed the official story. I aggressively defended it when I first started cracking open that little window that there could be possibly more to this story. I went through every emotion, just like probably a lot of you here who didn't originally believe it or consider it are going through. And I didn't want to believe it. I came up with every excuse not to believe it. Any building that succumbs to fire that collapses starts usually with large gradual deformations and the building will begin to fall over, not straight down through the path of what was the greatest resistance. These buildings explode. We have witnesses that hear sounds of explosions. We started walking down the stairs, we the eighth floor. Big explosion. You get down below and you see molten steel. Molten steel running down the channel mills. Like you're in a foundry. Like a lava volcano. This is all direct evidence of explosive controlled demolition. Interesting thing is fire can't create any one of these, let alone all ten. If the FDNY and other firefighters start speaking out about this, this is going to explode and it's going to open a lot of people's eyes to what really happened. Make this a normal thing to talk about so that this will spread like wildfire. It's starting now. From speaking out and starting this website and meeting Richard and a lot of the other incredible people here tonight, I've also met some military intelligence officers that have taught me a lot. I asked one of them, how do we win? We can't get through the media. We can't get through most of our friends and family because it's too scary to talk about. How do we do this? And he said it's easier. You just shine a light. And he said, just come from a place of love and not fear. Shine a light. Mm, that was awesome. I love <laughs> Indeed. it. Indeed. It gives you a sense of, of what we're about to experience uh, together. 
And uh, so uh, in addition, um, uh, Eric took a very important personal hiatus from the 9-11 truth movement for many years. He learned that he was at war inside of himself and that it was easier to blame the shadow government than to do his own inner work in order to understand his own shadow. In that time, he has learned that the way to a more unified and loving world is by first healing his own post-traumatic stress disorder. Through his 10-year journey, he's learned that healing, together with others, has been the most effective and rewarding, and that this is what humanity is in greatest need of. This is what will heal the wounds of the first responders, the family members, and all the rest of us. In recent months, it became clear to Eric that a protection alliance was needed for the 9-11 and other whistleblowers from the fire service and beyond. Papa was born. Protecting All Protectors Alliance. Eric is now on a mission to bring more awareness and understanding to the root cause of conflict, corruption, and war. He says, own your own shadow or somebody else will. Who owns our collective shadow as a society? Because we're being manipulated six ways from Sunday. This is the awareness that he brings to the new alliance, which I'm proud to be a part of. Protecting All Protectors was funded by the Boston 9-11 Truth Group earlier this month to present at the National Fire Protection Association Convention in Boston. Eric invited myself and the recently awakened Captain Roel Angulo, 38-year veteran of the Seattle Firefighter Depart Fire Department, and author of the book on fighting fires in structures. In order to bring the disconcerting news of the collapse of 47-story Building 7 to hundreds of leaders in the fire protection community so that they will finally reconcile this unprecedented collapse by fire of a steel frame fire-protected high-rise with their current firefighting procedures which includes entering such fire-involved buildings. Let's ask Eric during this interview how that went. Eric, welcome to Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Gail. Honored, You're welcome. Honored to be here, and it's fun seeing your, uh, you unleashed. So. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, and um, we're going to try to unleash some of our uh, community members that are watching right now. And um, Gail has uh, some instructions for them. And also, uh, uh, she's going to then go and find uh, and gather these questions and bring them back to us. But I wanted her to make that announcement and at least say hi. To <laughs> Yes. Hi, Eric. Wonderful to have you on. And yes, for all of our uh, viewers, when you're watching the video, whatever platform you're watching from, there's a comment section. So in the comments, 
that's where you type in your question. It pops up on my screen. I copy and paste it over to a private chat, and then I can read your question to Eric so that he can answer it. And I just want to remind everybody, just only because we've had this issue in the past, please keep all of your comments and questions motivated by love, mature, kind, thoughtful, uh, because if they're anything less than that, if they're coming from a wrong heart, I will have to delete your comment or question and block you. So, And please. she'll do it without yes. warning. I've seen her. Yes, I will. I've had to do it in the past, but I don't like to. <laughs> all right. So, yes. Thanks, Gail. Go. And we'll catch up with you in a little bit. And uh, uh, let, let Gail know what your questions are. You can talk to her. She'll actually answer you on, on the live stream if you're watching live. Otherwise, uh, you can contact us on our website, uh, richardgage911.org. All right. Thanks, Gail. And there she goes. Eric, how did you awaken to the truth about 9-11 and what really happened? Great question. <laughs> it was a complex um, awakening, I'd say, because after having been out to New York and seeing the devastation and attending so many funerals of the fallen firefighters, it, it, it weighed heavy on my heart. So if anybody brought it up, I would get super angry. So I had a radical shift, you could say, because I was that you talked about my intensity in the beginning. And I still have that um, learning how to channel it or direct it better. And in the beginning, I would get really angry with people. Even my own lieutenant, I told him he needed to leave the country if he believed that was possible. Mm. So the only way it was able to come through me was through what I call a backdoor or a Trojan horse. And so one of my great friends who was a, um, I'll just say, he was a vice president of a major financial institution. And he came home one day, uh, came over to my house and let me know. I could tell he was upset. And I said, what happened? And he said, if I didn't know better, I would swear there are people uh, trying to destroy our economy. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm being ordered to do things that an econ one one student wouldn't do, and it's going to destroy our bank. And it ended up doing that. So that night, it opened the door for me because it wasn't about 9-11. It was about the money supply. And I could go there. Who controlled the money? And so once I started going there, I just got like, you could say, sucked in. Like I wanted to know more. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. I wanted to know more and more. And then what led to that was I watched some documentaries. Like I literally stayed up by 16 hours that, you know, all the way through the night just to learn more. And I kept seeing videos of yours with Tower 7 and those things. And so when I saw it, you weren't saying anything crazy. And I'm like, so I'd watch those. And then I went to your website. And I, once I saw that, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Because what I wanted to do was prove it wrong. So when I saw your stuff, I'm like, I've got to prove this wrong. And I was drawn to go up to Vancouver, Canada. The next night or two nights later, I can't remember, it was just right away, you were going to be presenting in Canada, which was a couple hours from Seattle. And so I went up there. And when I watched your presentation there, that's when my whole world literally exploded because I, I ran out of excuses. When I saw it, I was like, I can't deny this anymore. And once that happened, that's where, that's where I went into a, a tumble, I guess you could say. A tumble. Yeah. Where did you end up? <laughs> well, it depends on which year you talk about. <laughs> Still tumbling. It's just, it's a different kind of, I'm more used to it now. Okay. Let's talk about the tumble in a moment. Um, you, you, you started Firefighters for 9-11 Truth. Uh, why and, and what was your goal and, and uh, how many firefighters uh, became uh, attracted to the website? And by the way, that website's up and running now, Firefighters 
for it's well it's ff911truth.org right eric right ff911truth.org yeah. i'll put that up on the screen while you're talking about it yeah. so yeah so founding that was i'd say it found me because oh, i'm serious i hope he's okay uh-oh uh-oh fell off a bicycle <laughs> How do we get Trump? I make this pledge to you today. I will never. I didn't even start that. I yep. didn't even hear that. I'm 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 expressing innocence here. I swear I wasn't Perfect. listening to Trump. Anyway, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. No, that was great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd say it found me. Uh, and the reason I say that is coming back from your conference, I literally on the drive started having an anxiety attack and having been a firefighter and things, I really didn't have anxiety attacks where it just was overwhelming. I couldn't control it. And so what ended up happening was I pulled over on the I five after I got back in the United States and I didn't know, I was like, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. And all of a sudden it was like something deeper than me took over my body. I'd say not, not took it over, but just guided me. And it was like, I have to take a stand. If I don't take a stand, I'm going to die and my family's going to die. So it was like this feeling of like impending doom. And then I just took the motion of like planting a flag. And in that moment, I declared because of your architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and I knew pilots for 9-11 Truth existed. It was just clear firefighters for 9-11 Truth needed to come through. And so when that happened, it's like I, I was invited, you could say, by life to do it. And then when I did it, everything changed. That's when you should, like I got connected to you and so many people, military intelligence, a lot of people reached out immediately because of the stand, the stand I took. And then, so as far as the firefighters, we had, <clears throat> I don't remember the exact numbers. We stopped, uh, I'd say this is it became a little too much to try to verify everybody. And then a lot of the haters, you could say, and the spammers and all that, you know, overwhelmed systems and that in the early days. And so um, it just kind of, we were at a, probably 150 something or close to 200 that had signed the, you know, signed the petition and the ones we verified. And the, the bigger thing though was there were so many that would come to me privately, especially from my fire department. Oh, and in the beginning, you said 12 years. I was actually 25 years in emergency services and the last wow. 16 was with Seattle. So just, um, but in my own fire department, people would come to me that were supporting, but they were too, I don't want to say afraid. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They were too concerned to put their name on that because they didn't know what was going to happen. So there's no way to guess, but there was a lot of support privately. There wasn't a lot of support publicly. Gotcha. So so that was a, a huge boon in the 9-11 Truth Movement, 2008, 9, 10, uh, when firefighters uh, for 9-11 Truth uh, came forward and and you had made this uh, this uh, documentary um, 9/11 oh, this one right here uh, exposed 9/11 miss I just want to play a segment uh, of this for everybody because it's just uh, so powerful to uh, hear you. Uh, take on NIST. That, actually, the first picture was when it was hit by the first tower. This is after it was hit by the second tower. No way you're going into it. That looks like it could collapse. The next one's World Trade Center 4. Another, that's obvious damage that I'm not going to be going into that building. World Trade Center 6, no way, not going into it. 
So all these buildings would have been the ones that were expected to collapse. World Trade Center 7 had pocket fires on multiple floors, had no signs of major destruction that would make us scared to go into that building. And the fire service, I talked about the instant command system. There's people in here that talk about foreknowledge, talk about it's coming down. We are not saying that these people were involved in any way, because in an incident command system or a fire scene, you get orders from above, there could be just a rumor planted somewhere, and it can trickle down. Just because we're reporting something or firefighters are, doesn't mean they're in on it. Let's look fast in comparison to the speed of sound. Therefore, pressure does not equalize to the explosion volume, and extremely high pressures are generated near the explosive. Pressure and the resultant level of damage rapidly decay with distance away from the center of the explosion. The Made brothers made a film. They recorded the first plane strike, and they came in the lobby with Chief Pfeiffer here and, and his crew. I want you to pay attention. We were originally told, and in this video you're going to hear them, they plant the first seed that this was a, a jet fuel fireball that came down the elevator shaft. And I just want you to think about that for a second, because if you think about an elevator shaft, it's there's an elevator car in there. When it's in between floors, those doors are closed. So in all those elevator shafts in the World Trade Center, there's multiple banks, and they went to different levels. So you have some mid-stops, you have some full shaft, you have some go down in the basement. There's just multiple banks of elevators. So not, not all of these elevator shafts go all the way down to the lobby. Vice versa, a lot of these go down into the basement. So what they told us is that that fireball came down, blew out the lobby windows, which you're going to see here, blew out the lobby windows. So what that means is it had this, that fireball had to find those elevator shafts, but the doors would have been closed up top where the plane struck. So it had to shear those elevator shafts at the top. Then that fireball in an explosive way would have come down that shaft, and then that would have meant those cars should have been stopped in the basement level, just one floor below, because the elevator car would have acted as a plunger. It would have needed to consider fuels other than gas. Exotic accelerants, 19.2.4. Exotic accelerants, thermite mixtures produce exceedingly hot fires. Such accelerants generally leave residues that may be visually or chemically identifiable. So indicators of exotic accelerants include an exceedingly rapid rate of fire growth, which would be expected from a jet fuel fireball. Brilliant flares, again expected, but the one thing that's not expected is melted steel or concrete. We're going to show you some of that. And melted steel or concrete, I've never seen it, I've never even heard of it at a fire scene. Myth. Jet fuel and office fires explain the evidence found at ground zero. Do they? Well, how would they have gotten into this building? One more uh, quote for you from Eric. And uh, you can see the power of, of this. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Hypothesis of explosive. Myth. The NIST report analyzed the collapse. They were tasked with explaining how and why World Trade Center... Oops, that's me. Eric and I go back and forth. You can watch this, of course, on our website, Richard Gage, 9-11 Unleashed. Uh, and uh, the, the, or the NIST report came final out comments. on that. There's also um, Sybil Edmonds from the FBI. She was a translator. She was gagged for years. She had information that she wanted to share, and the NSA, so it was national security, wouldn't let her come out. So she was a whistleblower. So there have been whistleblowers, and they have been punished for coming out. So uh, you can get a sense of how powerful uh, this uh, documentary uh, is and uh, how useful uh, Eric's, uh, he goes through through all of the, um, the National Fire Protection Association Guide 921 for fire and an explosion investigation, the, the laws of pre preservation of evidence. And it's incredible, uh, Eric, what you put together uh, in, in this documentary. 
uh, firefighters, architects, engineers expose 9-11 myths. I just want to publicly thank you for this, this treasure trove of uh, uh, material that we can use to expose, and we have been using for 10 years, to expose uh, 9-11 uh, well, the, the NIST's fraud regarding 9-11. How do you feel about that work in retrospect? Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you and the support and, you know, helping bring this all together. And uh, I do feel it's it was critically important because there hadn't really been firefighters or insiders talking about how a normal investigation would look. So to me, that kind of, that's the the, the root of it all. So if you do a bad investigation, which means like they destroyed physical evidence and all that other stuff, that's where, you know, federal crimes, you're going to have a bad, you're going to have bad report findings. So I feel I'm happy it's out there. And yeah, and I just say, listening to it again, it's, I talked really fast. So if you <laughs> I love you had a lot of information to put out there. That's for speed, then you, you might pick up more of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it at half speed. Exactly. Well, that and that brings us to the, the next phase of your uh, intense 9-11 uh, outreach. And that is the creation of the Protecting All Protectors Alliance. Uh, can you tell us what prompted you to create this? And then uh, a little bit about... Um, the activities uh, that followed from the creation of Papa. Yes. Um, well, once again, Richard, <laughs> you get all the credit. Um, for those for your listeners, uh, I hadn't been in the 9-11 Truth Movement for years. Richard would reach out occasionally, inviting me back in. And I, 2015, I think, was the last time we went to New York together after a four or five-year hiatus, and then hadn't been back in it for almost seven years. And Richard called and reached out and let me know about the Boston 9-11 Truth Group and their request. And the work I've been doing since 9-11 Truth Movement is, I'd say, is the perfect fit for what I saw was needed here. And that's where Papa was born out of when the group Boston 9-11 Truth, you and ourselves, bringing the kind of the legacy of 9-11 Truth. And then the I'd say the, the goal that I've gathered from doing my own healing and working with teams that are committed to doing what I call all-in healing, meaning that comes first before everything else. So that's how Papa was born. And I'd known since 9-11 um, Truth Days, as I said, I met some military intelligence insiders, and I met quite a few people post 9-11 Truth that helped me see that... Um, how would I say this strategically? I have a different belief now. I'm not into the trials and that, and I'll go in justice and in the way punitive justice, and I can share more on that. I am into the world healing and coming together so events like 9-11 don't happen again. And part of that is we need to stand up as the people and and stand for life, stand for, you know, for, what would I say? Like, integrity, stand for the things that we know we value as, as Americans, especially, well, I'd say everyone does, but as Americans, we have them stated. So uh, it was, it was a, I'd say a moment where God spoke to, to us and it just became clear 
that in order for the people to stand up, they need a safe way to do that. And they need to do it in a way where we don't cause more trauma. And we blame people when we don't know exactly what happened. So it's how do we become adults and have adult conversations and invite in the organization. So that's how Papa was born. So it was, a, it was a group effort and it just was the right time at the right moment. Well, tell us about this conference and, and, and the booth and the, the attention that uh, we were able to get uh, to Papa yeah, and from Papa to the attendees. Yes. So Boston 9-11 Truth had already been tracking the NFPA, which is the National Fire Protection Association. And they're about a 125-year-old organization. And their mission is to protect firefighters and the public. And they set the codes and standards, which are called the national standards. And they're guidelines. They're not laws. They're um, from them. They're more, they're more suggestions. They take the best practices and, and they release those. So when they reached out through, when you reached out, let me know that conference was happening. I knew that was the key, like that's the keystone for me because that organization, the NFPA 921 that's in the the documentary is this is the organization that publishes that. So they set standards and NIST is called the National Institute of Standards, Standards, Standards and Technology. So why is the National Institute of Standards and Technology not using the national standards for fire investigation? So, so NIST or NFPA has very clear guidelines and they're just guidelines, but they're the minimums in a way. It's like, if you don't know what you're doing, refer to this. If you're going to not follow them, you have to have good reason. So when that invitation came through, it became clear this was the place. And one other thing I would say is, um, I won't go into detail because part of being what we're, we're growing here is a whistleblower organization. So I can't say certain things about who, what, and those types of things. But I'll just say NFPA made it clear that they were tracking what, what we were doing in the 9-11 truth movement. And they weren't requesting a stop or anything else. They actually made it clear they they wanted us to get more or wanted me to get more information of what was happening. So I don't know who it was that sent it, but they made it clear that that keep going is what I would say. Wow. That's an incredible uh, confirmation uh, from, from, from inside. How many people did we contact and what's the follow-up to this with those contacts? Yeah. I, the exact numbers, I, I, we're well over 300. So um, that signed up wanting more to to join the conversation and, and keep going, which, you know, for me, and I know we talked about this, this was way beyond anything we've ever done before. And we were in a, you know, we weren't sh- preaching to the choir here. This was a, these are professional fire, the professional fire uh, chiefs and things like that. And then also the, the fire protection system. So this was a different audience that typically isn't open to what we call 9-11 truth, but that's not what we came in with. We came in with, there's a building collapse here that we need to learn more about. And so um, the follow-up is what we're requesting of uh, the NFPA is to make it clear because they have a guidebook that's called NFPA 1700. And that's basically the codes and standards or not codes, but the standards for um, structural firefighting. And there's a high rise chapter in there. And they haven't changed. Um, if you were to like, if we really go into the the building seven Solomon Brothers building collapse, we should have changed everything because this building collapsed, and they haven't. So what we're asking is for them to take a stand to make a decision and make it clear why they're not including those changes, 
or that they do that, that it, they haven't reviewed it. And then now that they do review it, they need to add those. So it's, it's created confusion. And, um, yeah, and I'll end with this is in Grenfell, uh, there's, they had a lot of confusion in that building. A lot of people lost their lives because mm -hmm. of the back and forth tactics, because firefighters and some of the chiefs were terrified the building was going to collapse because of the images they've had. And there's never been before 9-11 or since that a type one, you know, concrete and steel or fire protected steel building has collapsed like that from fire. So that's part of the disinformation that's out there and it's costing lives. So mm. this is something really important that we need to address as adults. And uh, we're, we're doing just that. We're going to be uh, contacting uh, everybody uh, with an email that we're actually drafting right now. Um, what are we telling uh, the attendees at this conference who wanted us to follow up with them? Yeah, just letting them know how grateful we are that they took the time and joined the conversation and that there's um, that they're they're not alone anymore. There's so many that are joining that conversation. So we're letting them know that and what we're saying, you know, our request to the NFPA. We're also inviting them to watch Calling Out Bravo 7. So Calling Out Bravo 7, the 2020 edition, is a film that I think from a firefighter perspective is the most comprehensive and it helps you see, and it focuses on the Solomon Brothers building. So you get to see really why this is an issue. And so we're inviting them to that and then letting them know when we hear back from the NFPA, we're going to give them that update also. And that's the gist of it. That's pretty exciting, I think. Um, now, uh, oh, Calling Out Bravo 7. In fact, that is a movie. Tell us about that movie, who made it, and why it's... Uh, it's 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 so good for us. And I'll play a clip after you do that. OK. And I haven't been able to say his name before, but he just let me know two days ago. He's OK with. with <laughs> oh. there. So, so OK, then. Yeah, because he's still an active duty firefighter in England. Uh, it's reality. Careers, you know, when you when you become a whistleblower, you a lot of things can happen. So anyways, his name's Paul Cayley. And he was inspired um, by the work you and I were doing and reached out uh, years, many years ago and let me know what he was considering and asked if you know I could support it anyway. And I said, however I could. And he did the bulk of the work. He really, um, he's gifted. He's not a movie maker. He's a firefighter, but he's really gifted at keeping things, I'd say, simple enough to understand and builds a foundation so that people can understand the complexity of what we're dealing with and then digest it as it goes on. And he also does, I'd say, a good job of <clears throat> staying out of the fear part of it so much, like just looking at this practically. And he challenged um, his own fire department and uh, several of them did for, um, under the Health and Safety Act, basically saying we need a, we need a clear decision on this. And uh, we'll just say he got a lot of heat for that. And an article was done in one of their main newspapers in England, uh, basically totally spinning the story of what he was asking for and the team was asking for. So he got a, you know, I'd say real world experience and how it's next to impossible to get the, you know, both sides of a story out through the traditional media or through our traditional systems. Gotcha. Well, um, this movie for me was just so powerful because it brought together uh, so many uh, facts and figures about building seven that I didn't even know. And I didn't see it until uh, we started talking about going. Uh, 
to the National Fire Prevention Association convention earlier this month. Uh, thank God for Boston 9-11 Truth, who raised uh, our flights, our hotels, our 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 uh, fee, $4,000 to have that evidence booth. And, and, and then we brought this film. This is the trailer that you're seeing uh, of the film, Calling Out Bravo 7, which does such an exceptional job because one of the things they do is document that there was indeed water pressure in the main, in the uh, fire hydrants and to the building uh, that if the fires, firefighters were uh, called to fight this fire, uh, that they had plenty of pressure, yet NIST claims that is the reason that the building fell due to fires because the fire mains were uh, uh, damaged by the collapse of the Twin Towers. And he just exposes that six ways from Sunday. And I'm so grateful for him and for you for collecting us under the alliance and bringing us um, upon the invitation of Boston 9-11 Truth to make this happen. It's historic. It it cannot be understated. Uh, I think this will produce fruit that we uh, may not see right away in weeks, uh, possibly even months, but this seed is growing already, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's I'm super grateful for you and for Paul. And Paul's just, just his heart is in the right place. And I, I've just always trusted him because he's so careful with what he says and what he puts out. So from what I've seen and the feedback I've heard is there's almost nothing you can challenge in this this movie because he, he did so much research and worked with really some experts in, in that. And yeah, the fruits, it's, I mean, we talked about this in Boston. I like for the first time I... I've always known we're going to get through this and something beautiful is going to be born on the other side. But what I'm seeing are doors opening and hearts opening and people that would have resisted this before are willing to look. And I think the, you know, my invitation to the 9-11 truthers who've been out there and are doing their inner work. So they're not coming from that place of fear and anger um, that the people, this awakening, like to this, the scary stuff, they're going to need more and more of us that are able to, hold this going, you know, because when I first woke up, I was like, oh my God, the world's, we're doomed, we're, we're done with. Mm-hmm. And it was really the intelligence guys that helped me calm down, I, I'd say, and helped me stay out of the fear as much. And that, hey, this is a long road. This isn't a one-time shot. And so the more of us that can hold that, like, hey, we, we got this as humanity, then it kind of calms us down and it helps us, I'd say, get through the process of realizing um mm-hmm. There is no Santa Claus. <laughs> mm. No white hats? <laughs> well, there might be white hats, but not in that sense. But there's the the government's not the answer to our um, ah. our collective needs. Gotcha. So they've been duped. Whole, but they've overstepped their bounds, I would say. And this brings me to the, you mentioned you tumbled down deeper into a personal journey in this 10-year period between uh, the, the, the firefighters for 9-11 Truth uh, didn't, do it, didn't do what, for you personally, what was necessary, your own work. And, and, and uh, earlier this month when we came together with Papa, there was 10 years there, Eric. What was going on? Yeah. Um, what was going on was I kept 
it's like beating my head against a wall, trying to let people know about 9-11 and, hey, we've got to do something about this. But I was doing it from a place of fear and anger. And so it would be like firefighters showing up at an apartment building that's that's well involved, we call it, meaning lives are on the line, kind of like Glenn, your Grenfell or something like that. And if the firefighters come in and might have contributed to it, the fact that, that there's so much misinformation, if they come in confused and afraid and screaming, hey, there's a fire, this, and they're not actually calm, centered and taking action, people freak out more. So in a way, I saw that I was scaring people more. I was separating myself from my family and friends, and I was getting more and more angry. And finally, it was just I'd kind of given up on life. And when I gave up on life, that's when something else was able to show up. And it was a man that that helped me see that, that I wasn't going to make the change I wanted to make by doing what I was doing. So it's like doing the same thing, expecting different results. And he helped me see if I really wanted to make the change that he knew I wanted to make um, for myself and for humanity. He said, you're going to have to start with yourself. And he said, you have to learn how to love and forgive yourself. And when he said that, it, it pierced me. And so a lot more unfolded from there. But that that was the moment when it was a single moment when I met this man and he'd reached out to me. And uh, when I met him, it was there was no going back. He helped me see the beauty in the shadow, I would say. And he helped me see that the only, yeah, I'll say this. One of the questions he asked me was because he helped me see I was here to do something uh, deeper than 9-11 truth, meaning just not sharing a message, but to embody something. And ICE was all about the justice. And so in what someone else helped me see after in my 10-year hiatus was what the current justice system is a punitive justice system. So it's about punishment. It's an eye for an eye. And so the Old Testament was that. The New Testament isn't. You know, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount was about loving kindness justice. And so <clears throat> what he helped me see, or this actually for the justice, another lady helped me see there's a thing called unitive justice. There's another way. And so what this man helped me see was he said, Eric, I want to ask you a question. He said, what if you had two choices? One choice is you keep pursuing 9-11 truth and you go after these people and you get arrests, you get you get trials, you get executions, whatever, whatever you want, you get that. <clears throat> and you end up with a world that's worse than what we have now. Or you can learn how to forgive, love and forgive yourself and embody this and now stand up and do the right thing and actually be the example of what a new world could look like and the world begins healing and coming together. He goes, what if you have to make that choice? Which one do you choose? And he goes, because you can't have both. You're not going to be able to have punitive justice and a better world. So that really woke me up. And he, he embodied it and lived that. And once I was around that enough, I'm like, I just saw it. It's like, we're doing the same thing. And if I'm going to punish somebody, you know, it's when we punish for something, we're creating a violent society. And this is what we get. So that was part of that was the the essence of the the journey that's what started it and then it's gone a long ways from there well and you had a, an event um uh becoming one was this part of your uh one becoming one uh, an organization i think and then the event is one the event uh tell us uh, how this played into your inner work yeah thank you um, so after meeting this man, his name is Marek, and after meeting Marek, he uh, 
he let me know, like I said, that I was, you know, agreed to be here a long time ago. And I won't remember here, he pointed to his head and he said, but you will remember here pointing to his heart. And he said, you agreed to do something and you've broken your agreement. You've lost your way. So when he said that, it was like he sucked, you know, like gut punched me because it was like I knew he was right, but I didn't know what he meant. And so it began to unfold. And I just say my life changed dramatically and radically. And he and he, I said, so where do I go from here? He said, don't worry about it. Stop trying to do everything. Just be, just be happy. Just work on yourself. And so he said, the rest will unfold. So three months later, the vi a vision came through that I call the Life Star Vision. And in that vision, I basically saw what I would call the Death Star, you know, from Star Wars, where it shines lasers basically into one big one and can blow up planets. I saw the laser being um, humans coming together and using our greatest gifts, you could say, together, focusing our resources, our love, our, our um, solutions and everything on a single project or a person and seeing a radical transformation when we focus that much love together versus violence. So punitive justice, you get a lot of violence, you create that world. If we focused a lot of love and support on people and, and projects. So when I saw that, uh, part of that vision was this one, the event. And so one, the event was um, about making the shift from fear to love. So we did it on the 10 year anniversary of 9-11. It was guided, I guess you could say, we prayed about it. It was, um, it was a group that was, that the team that came together was motivated more by, um, I'd say loving kindness than wanting revenge and that type of stuff. So on the 10 year anniversary of 9-11, we brought together a, um, a really diverse cross section of humanity. We brought together multiple faiths and religions or belief systems. And we had a moment of love where each of these basically major religions and indigenous beliefs, they, they preached or they didn't preach. They, they shared their message of forgiveness and love. And so it really, like, it really impacted people, um, how much it opened their heart and how, how I'd say transformed so many were. So it was a beautiful event. And that was just the beginning of the work that I'm doing now. But it was, it was basically, how do we bring a community together that's so diverse and, and focus on what we love together and what the solutions that, that will meet everybody's needs, not just one group's. And we spent time with you in Boulder, Gail and I did. And it was uh, just a set of very powerful experiences. Uh, can you share from your perspective what, what the, the deep work is, is really all about? We've, we've got time. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that's a really <laughs> complex question in simple words. Um, it's really, how would I say it? It's really about making a shift from making everything wrong to wanting to understand. So what I mean by that is part of what's developed in the last 10 years is one of the games we play when we train as a group is who has the mic. And what we mean by that is you'll see people that get triggered. Um, I was triggered from 9-11 once I learned about it. So I, my, my response was a triggered response. And so what we mean by who has the mic is we spend the time and I'm talking 
when I say all in healing, I, I mean all in healing, meaning it's a full time job and more. So putting in more hours than I ever did on 9-11 Truth or anything else to work with others to get more clear on what's going on inside our, our world, uh, inside world, not, not our world externally. And so when we play the game, who's got the mic, what we're able to do as a team, because as an individual, we can't really do this, we're able to see each other's blind spots. So we can tell when someone's speaking from their heart or when they're speaking from a triggered part. And so when someone's triggered, like part of me is triggered, say, I'm triggered, so I kind of lose my ability to have an awareness of what's happening inside of me. And when that happens, it's not right or wrong. It's just a triggered response, and it's a, usually a trauma response. And so the, the old way I would do it was just keep going or shut it down or want to make get rid of it, like a part of me that I didn't like. And say like drinking or drinking too much, like I drank way too much during the 9-11 days. And it, it's still, it's like when I'm in that, that, I'll just say it's still there. But when I learn how to slow down and not make it wrong, then I can ask, drinking too much. What are you here to show me? So meaning that triggered response was from my own PTSD as a child, not just as a firefighter, but as a child, then that was the way I would cope with it. And the fire service, there's a lot of, we'll say intense professions that that's pretty accepted to, instead of dealing with it and going internal and working together to help each other heal, um, you know, you can numb it away. And so that's what I chose to do. And with that, what I'm learning is the more I can go inside and ask what's happening. So my friends, when we train together, they'll help. They'll just ask Eric, who's got the mic. And what that signals to me is it's not my, it's not my heart speaking. It's not my whole self. It's a part of me that's traumatized and it needs to be heard. And when it comes up in that moment, that's the moment to actually communicate with it. So when we do that and we take the time and we have a team that's loving and compassionate and doesn't judge each other for what we do, then everything changes because now that part is feeling heard. And what we find every single time is that part has a gift. So in a way, our traumas are our greatest gifts. But if we see it as traumas and something that's broken in us and we've got to get rid of, it doesn't, it can't come out. But as soon as we connect with it and begin to understand that's why this trauma happened and this is what I've learned and developed from it, now here's how I can use it as a superpower. So when that happens, everything changes. And I'd say the people we work with have never had results anywhere else like they have when we do this kind of work, meaning a teamwork and accepting all parts of ourselves, not trying to cut anything out, not trying to make anything wrong. And the transformations are radical and quick. And so what my belief is now, having it seen it enough with enough people, is this is what, what I'm in service to as a, as a collective, meaning for our country, for my family, for others, is when we can bring that same loving awareness without judgment and ask, like one thing we could ask is 9-11, what are you here to show us? What are we missing as humanity? Why did this happen? So not saying because there's bad people that want to plan it and it's corrupt and all blah, blah, blah. That's a symptom. That's not, that's not the source of it. There's something deeper. And when we can go there, 
that's when we really have the power to change it all. So otherwise, we're just doing this. We're just blaming everyone else. And you've got to change, you know, screw you, shadow government, or you've got to change Republicans or Democrats. And when we're trapped in that loop, that's a triggered response. So if we were to be working with people in a political arena like that, that we're, we're willing to go all in and do this work, we'd be stopping them. We call it stop. And we'd say, who's got the mic? Because anything like that back and forth is, is, a, is a triggered response. You're trying to prove something something versus understand something. And so I'll stop there, but it's it's mutual understanding, I would say, is the is the goal. And that's what's going to change everything, including with NFPA and NIST and all that. Wow. So this is a radical shift um, from the work that many of us are about in the 9-11 truth movement that's being proposed here. I'll just I'll just suggest that it seems like that. I have been uh, documenting the the fraud of NIST and the truth of the explosions and incendiaries at the three World Trade Center skyscrapers for 15 years, having assembled 3,500 architects and engineers. And we have a, a, a powerhouse of information and a set of documentaries brochures, uh, hundreds and hundreds of presentations and radio interviews, making strides. But how would we, in as the 9-11 Truth Movement, and as Richard Gage 9-11, and as Eric Lawyer and Protecting All Protectors Alliance, how do we practically take uh, the next step if we're going to not blame them, i.e. seek justice for the family members by bringing those perpetrators uh, to accountability. What else do we do? And in a public sense, you mentioned privately, we need to do our own shadow work. What would change perhaps uh, in our public work if we were to deeply listen to what you're saying? Another great question, Richard. Um, the, I need a second to go, whoop, that's another deep one. Um, I'd say Papa was the embodiment of what I'm suggesting. And what I mean by that was when we went to the NFPA, we didn't come in as the 9-11 truth movement. We didn't come in asking for, you know, trials and all that. We came in to raise awareness. So I'd say the work the 9-11 Truth Movement has done and the work you and I have done and so many others around the world right now that have been whistleblowers, you could say, or, you know, people raising awareness, it's needed because what I see the future is, is um, where the people stand up and become adults. And what I mean by that is the government in a way is there when you have children, they're mom and dad, they're the police, they're the ones who have to resolve things when we can't, when we don't have the skills and tools to listen to each other and get along, we need some control system to make that happen. So we get to see right now what's happening. It's just, it's coming alive to see how intense this control system is. And I think that's the greatest gift for humanity because when we can let that in, we get to see the results in real time. Like this, we're seeing how fast it's happening too. This is what happens when we want a government to control us. So to help you see what I've shared before is the 9-11 truth movement's a great example is 
it's needed. It's like when you show up at a building that's on fire, you need people to say, hey, the building's on fire, get out of the building and go to, you know, go to your left or go this way because it's safe that way. But you don't just say fire, 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 and just scream fire, which creates confusion. You need to let them know there's a problem and you need to give direction of what's a safe way to go or a protected way to go. So the 9-11 truth movement I'm still, I'm not saying anything's been done wrong or to change anything, like keep going. And this awareness is if we're going to the system, the very system, which is the co-opted government, if we're going to that and seeking justice, we're asking, it's like going to the king and saying, I want off with their head, but the king's corrupt. So why are we going to a corrupted system asking for justice on themselves who control it? So it's like, it's, it's insanity in a way to think about it. So if I still think I need a parent, to protect me, then I'm going to go to the government and say that. And now another approach would be for the 9-11 truth movement would be, it's a Buckminster Fuller quote, and it's don't try to change the existing reality and don't, don't fight the existing reality. Just make a new model that makes the old one obsolete. So it's a corrupted government. It's, it's concentration of power and money and the authority for violence so the government has an undisputed authority for violence. So they show up to your house. If you go to them and you get violent, you go to prison for a long time. If they show up at yours with the cops or whatever, and they go violent, it's a different story. So when you have that monopoly on violence, this is what we get. So when we go to that very institution that monopolizes violence, asking for more violence because you're asking for punitive justice, we're just going to get that cycle in the mess. So what we did at PAPA, for those who weren't aware, was we're asking an institution, which has been around for 125 years and the fire service and is trusted, to take a stand and either use this and the government's information, you could say, from 9-11 and make the changes if you believe those findings, which we don't at all. But if you believe them, make the changes, make it clear. Or if you don't believe them, which I know they don't because they haven't made the changes, but they're not being public about it. If you don't believe it, then make that statement. We are not making these changes because this is basically a, how would Trump say it when Trump came in, like a fake news report. This is a fake report. So this is not even close to the national standards. There's no physical evidence used on Tower 7. Why in the hell would we make any changes based on this information? So all we have to do as the people is work together with the people and the organizations that are committed to a truly, I'd say, integrated, whole and healed world. And we're going to get there. So if NIS or if NFPA just says, this is a, a fraudulent report, and we're just going to ignore your stuff. So we're no longer going to use your findings. We're going to do our own. And that's where like the work you've done, Richard, and so many others, uh, there's a lot to name, but I won't, but it's in, in Raul and so many others that are bringing so much light to this is the work is out there. The information's out there. So we can still do investigative reporting. We can still do inquiries. We can still have findings from these events. But the institutions that are trusted and the people that are trusted would be the ones providing that. So all this evidence that's been amassed is still useful. It's just it doesn't need to go through a court to have it spawn and everything else. It just needs to wake people up. And together, we now work together where we meet our needs and we make the upgrades and we do everything we need without using the government. So when we don't use them, they will disappear. It, not just they, I don't want to say they, but the institution will disappear. And this is where when enough organizations, I'd say, come from the heart, they're going to work together. 
and they're going to work together with mutual understanding, we won't have 99% of the problems we have right now. So we won't need the government. We'll have new ways of working together, sharing resources and meeting needs that right now only a government can meet. So that's what I would say to sum it up is inviting the 9-11 Truth Movement to do their own inner work and they can reach out to, uh, to me and I can connect them. Uh, we're going to be doing more of that, especially for 9-11 survivors and um, family members and 9-11 truthers, because that's some of the where some of the most deep trauma is right now. And as we do that together, then new possibilities become clear. So if we can make that shift from I'm going to the very institution I don't trust to fix the problem. And instead, I'm going to I'm going to learn the skills to be able to listen deeply to everybody and now work together. And from there, something new is possible. I love it. I'm going to take this to heart and, and try to try to, to work it in, uh, in, in my own work. Um, I really appreciate your invitation to the 9-11 Truth Movement, family members and first responders to, to heal. Um, can you let them know before we bring Gail on with uh, some questions that I know we do have? Uh, how how do people contact you, Eric? Yeah, um, I'd say right now is yeah. I'll share my phone number because that's the the easiest way to get me and to text me. So if there's somebody that really like they feel called and they're ready to do that, that's then I I, I know how would I say this. I'd say my own my own sensing is clear enough. I'll know if it's the right time for us to work together. If it's not, I can help point them in the right direction. So they can call me at 303-506-3403 and 303-506-3403. And they could text me and just let me, you know, let me know that you heard this through Richard's podcast. And this is in just let me know what you're looking for. And that's that's how it's going to grow is organically. And that's what I'm learning is the slower we go, the, the smoother it is. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Eric. That, that's quite a gift, um, putting your your invitation out there with your your personal number. Uh, that's really incredible. Gail is here. And um, what do you think, Gail? <laughs> Are oh, you on the wow. edge of your seat also? Yes, that's so powerful, Eric. I appreciate your message so much, and it just resonates so much in my heart. Mm. Thank you for sharing. I know it does with a lot of people. Yeah. Yes, so we have some questions. Uh, this first one is from Miles. He says, professional researchers talk about curating learning resources, which means that vetted books, videos, and documents are gathered and used to create a knowledge hub. In other words, an archive of cataloged and tagged resources is assembled for seeing and making the connections. Another concept is an approach called appreciative inquiry. To your knowledge, is there anyone bringing all the interested parties and their findings and work together in one hub? Yes, I love I love appreciative inquiry and and the knowledge hubs. Um, and that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. That's what's needed is is we make solutions and investigative findings and all that available to all and transparent. Then that's when the people can can rise and, and make the changes needed. So I do know um, Thrive, the Thrive platform that you guys both know about. That's they have the solutions hub, and that's from work with Barbara Marks Hubbard and some others. So this vision has been there for a long time, and right now I'd say Thrive is the one I see. Um, 
kind of bringing together the most. So it's Foster Gambles, and I can't remember the website. It's what you guys thriveon.org. That's probably I'll, look, I'll bring it up. Just make sure it's Foster, but their it's platform.org. It's uh, thrive.org, I think. Let's try that one. There we go. Whoops, that's not it either. How could I miss this? Let's uh, Google it. Well, while you're searching for it, while you're looking, I'll just say their platform is what we used for for Papa in Boston, and a lot of groups now are starting to use it, like Freedom Cells and different ones. Because I know one of uh, the people working on Foster's team, who I trust deeply. And they are standing for, you know, the things we all want is the protected, the privacy and the protected data and all those types of things. So we use their platform and it's it's pretty robust for where it's at. It's still in beta. There you go. Yeah. And the, the, what you URL, the URL is thrivemovement.com. Thrivemovement.com. Tell us a little more about it, Eric. So they're building a platform that's like, it's a combination. It's not going to be a replacement, but for teams that want to work together, and it's more about those that are in service to something deeper, this this is a great platform for that. And so it's like video conferencing, um, Facebook with the chatting and that, and be able to look up other people's profiles. It's a solution. So inside your own dashboard, um, there's like Google Doc replacements, um, the video conferencing, and it's all secured it's all uh, encrypted versus what you get with Google Docs and that. So it's a way to share information in a more protected way. And then the other piece is the solutions hub. I think that's what they call it. Is that what it, I can't see your screen totally, but yeah, I, I it's, it's right there next to Foster's picture. I think if I'm. Um, oh yeah. Well, click on that. Thank you. Yeah. So that's part of what that question is asking. So this would be, and it's not built out all the way, but they're, they're going slow and they're, they're, gaining momentum, I would say. So this is one I'm tracking for for that for preachers inquiry type thing. Yeah. At the bottom, it says, notify me when the new Solutions Hub launches. So it's in beta right now. And yeah. uh, you guys can go to thrivemovement.com and uh, go to um, New Thrive Solutions Hub and notify me when the new Solution Hub launches. Yes. Very good. And there's an incredible movie here, which is a write-up on their website, Thrive and uh, Thrive 2. They're both inc uh, amazing. They, they point out the problem in a way uh, that is powerful. And yet they, like you were saying, Eric, they provide <laughs> solutions that make the existing obsolete structure obsolete. Mm -hmm. And we move past uh, the need for the current banking system, the current governing governance system, et cetera. Um, would you just mention uh, the one of the solutions that you have uh, pointed out to us um, and, and, and how we organize ourselves independently uh, from local, state, and federal government uh, through the uh, membership associations? Yeah, so the um, it's basically private membership associations and what I'd uh, say free churches. It's not that's a loose term, but if when we create organizations inside the government, we're giving our basically our 
uh, sovereignty or agency to that government. So they, they direct, they control, they can do all that with that organization. So there's a lot of different types of organizations. They've existed for hundreds plus, you know, thousands of years in some ways, and they're private organizations. And that's the way we create things outside of the jurisdiction. And part of that quote is, um, you know, it makes the old obsolete, but what it also does is it takes away the fight. So if we're not in their face saying, hey, the government's bad and all that, that's, and that's not my message, although I will talk about, you know, I'll call a spade a spade when they're doing the things they're doing. And, but when we fight them with it and saying, hey, we're going over here and doing this or tell people online, like, oh, you cannot pay taxes by doing this and getting out of this. That's not the come from. If you're coming from a deep service place and you've, you're doing your inner work and now there are structures that exist where you can bring that, that, that responsibility into a structure type that doesn't have an authority over it. So that's what these are. And that's new things will be born out of this, but yeah, private membership associations, churches, trusts, private express trusts. There's quite a few different ones and, and there's, they have different uses. So does that answer it? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Gail. Yes. All right. Thank you, Eric. All right. This next question is from Miles. To me, it sounds like you may have worked with a union and an analyst. Are you familiar with the work of Carl Ewan? Jungian. Union. Young, Jungian. Union analyst. Jungian. <laughs> yes. Young, Carl Young is how I've heard it, but or Yen, yeah. Um, I am familiar with him. I know quotes, but no, I haven't worked with anything. And this is what makes me different, I would say, than a lot of people is I was guided by my mentor who came to kind of wake me up, but also channel a message is what I would say. And when he channeled it, it was from what I'd call my higher self. And it just resonated deeply. And he, what he helped me see was your greatest work is not going to be from working with all these different traditions and all these things is, and this is what I believe humanity is being invited into. So just like government's an institution that controls religion is too. So like the work, the, the teachings of Jesus, you know, he wasn't going into a church. He was actually with the people and he was getting it direct from God, you could say. So I believe going direct is the new way. And so what I, what took so long with my 10 years was learning, not learning, just doing enough learning enough of what didn't work to finally surrender and just ask God for help. And it's, I would say it's not that simple. It's like I had to be ready for it to come in, but when it came in, it was just like, boom, it was in a moment. So now people will say that and they'll tell me that not just with that kind of work, but a lot of different works. And, and I'll, I don't have experience in any of them. And so what it is, is there's, I'd say it's, you know, it's called, it's been called the um, newosphere, the, you know, the Akash, Akashic records or whatever, but there's an intelligence that's beyond our human mind that we can tap into. When we can do that, we can take the gold and the essence out of these teachings. So if you look at all the, the lineages of great teachers that, you know, Buddha and all, all the different ones that have left humanity with such gifts, that's accessible, not just through books, not through mental knowledge, it's accessible through your heart. And so that's, that's what I do. And so that's why our team's training is so effective is we don't bring in any traditions. We don't bring any of that. We bring in listening to God is what we call it. And so the more we practice on that, then we get the precise information or the precise way in the moment without having to spend years studying it. So that's the long answer to no, I haven't learned with anybody with that. 
<laughs> Thank you, Eric. Uh -huh. All right. This is from Jean. What words does Eric have for the firefighters who we know even today can't speak out due to the real threats on their pensions, family, livelihood, and even lives? Great question. Um, and love Jean. <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, I'm reading it again. So for the firefighters, what I would say is you don't need to, if you know at a deeper level, it's not the right time for you to speak out, then don't. Um, this is a marathon. This is a, a, we'll say there's a t humanity team that's working on this and we're all following our own inner guidance. So parts are getting done. And I would say to connect with Papa so they can do that at you know, team at protectingall.org. So just team at protectingall.org. Connect with us there because that's what we're here to support. So help people who might want to speak out. And more often than not, learning the hard way, I'm going to say be, be very careful, be very precise and when you make that decision because your whole world can change. And I will say just to honor one firefighter that Paul made me aware of and introduced me to, um, it breaks my heart, but he spoke out and he spoke out too early and too loud, I guess you could say. And um, what ended up happening was the pushback that he got rocked his world big time. He ended up committing suicide. So this is not something to take lightly, especially when your career and everything else is on the line for this. So to the firefighters that, you know, or I'd say anybody that has information that that could help open hearts and minds to 9-11 truth, uh, reach out to us and we can chat. And um, I would say, don't do it till you know it's time. And then when you know it's time, join a group like protect, you know, like the Protectors Alliance or reach out to us at least, because when we do it together, it's a lot easier and then we're more protected. So yeah, that's what I'd say. And then anything else? Mm, yeah, awesome. And Protecting All Protectors Alliance is found, as Eric mentioned, at protectingall.org. The email he mentioned, uh, you can email Eric at team at protectingall.org. Gail? All right. We... Do not have any more questions, but we do have an awesome comment. And this is from Kale. He says, welcome back, Eric. 9-11 Truth Hawaii supports your work, brother. Thank you for all that you do, especially for our next generations to learn from. So vital. That's yeah. from Kale, 9-11 Truth Hawaii. Yes. Thank Aww. you. Yes. And that is about it, you guys. Wow. Yeah. Eric, once again, uh, uh, thank you <laughs> for yes. bringing such um, depth and enlightening enlightenment and in the vulnerability and sharing your own journey here into the dark places and especially the light places as well. I guess that's what gives us the ability to do both, huh? We can't go to the higher places inside when we need it the most, if we haven't done our work, would, would, how would you summarize your, um, your, your, your work before we let you go? I think the, the quote you read in the beginning, 
of own your shadow or someone else will. And what I mean by that is the intelligence guys, so many of my mentors that just showed up out of nowhere to support me and the work I'm doing have taught me so much. And what I mean by that is this intelligence officer, when I, I and even in that, that documentary, I said, how do we win? And back then I saw it as winning. Like how, now I'd say, how does humanity win? Um, and what he helped me see was uh, that inspired that quote is if we don't own our, own our own shadow. So he said, Eric, everything has shadows, you, your family, community, organizations, the government. The problem is when we don't own it and we don't acknowledge it, it grows bigger and gets more destructive because it's being cut out. It's there to teach us something. So if it's there to teach us something and we're not receiving the message, it will have to do things like 9-11 events or destroy families or crash cars or whatever to get your attention because it has a message. So what he helped me see was, especially for co-opting, like the 9-11 truth movement is so co-opted in so many ways and so many new, you know, COVID and all these things are, what do you trust? And he said, he helped me see, he said, if you fight something, so if you're there to make it wrong, you're against something, he said, you're like a bull with a ring in the nose. They can just pull you wherever they want. So that's what I'm talking about, owning your own shadow, because I'm coming in with so much anger. I don't know where my anger is coming from because it's just a trigger. And now they're just pulling me wherever they want. He's like, that's how that's how we take over governments. That's how we do everything. And then he said, so what you need to do? And I said, well, what's the what's the counter to that? And he said, you need to come from you know you come from your heart, and you need to be clear on what you're for. And so if you're clear on what you're for, and it's not violating others, he goes, there's no they can't co-opt it. It just can't be stopped. So it's only if you engage in the fight, engage in the debate, engage in whatever. Now you're controlled. So it's as simple as own your own shadow or somebody else will. Wow. Powerful words. Thank you so much for bringing them to us. It's been awesome. I I hate to let you go, but I have (laughs) to. I know you've got to run. Actually, stay on for a minute after we end, Eric. We'll connect. And uh, Gail, thank you so much. And all of our wonderful community members of Richard Gage 9-11 out there, we're so grateful for your support. Thank you, everybody. And we'll uh, let you go with. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for staying in this for so long, too. Yeah. (laughs) What it takes. Thank you, Eric. And and, uh, here we go. Thank you for joining us on yet another informative and soul-stirring episode of Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. We'll be on the air again next week with another very special guest in the 9-11 Truth Movement and beyond. Visit us at richardgage911.org where you can find our schedule, learn about the WTC evidence, and of course, sign up for our emails and support us. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.